Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to church. Welcome to LifeBridge. Um, so I say church, and I hope you guys understand that church means like the people you're sitting next to, right? That's the big message is that like this church is the, like the people we hang out with. We're trying to grow together. We're trying to figure this whole Jesus story out. And the people next to you are like the church. So this is like, this is it. This is who, who Paul was talking about when he said church in the, the last half of the Bible, if you've been reading it. So, um... Meet the church. Hi, guys. Um, so I'm here to say welcome. Welcome here today to learn. Uh, we, we meet together every Sunday to, to learn a little bit. So we're equipped to, to go to the rest of the week and, uh, and be better versions of us. And, um, but the, the, the rest of it happens the rest of the week. So I'm here to tell you how to get connected for the rest of the week. All the events that are happening, how to stay involved, how to stay connected with other people, the rest of the church, if you will, and uh, for the rest of the week. So the way we do that is MyLifeBridge. That's the easiest way. Um, MyLifeBridge.church. And I always say, like, if you're over 30, the .church is instead of .com now. So that's pretty cool. Um, my, MyLifeBridge.church. That's uh, log into that website, and that'll get you, that'll tell you what's happening this week the, or the upcoming events that are coming up. We always post, like, the next biggest things that are coming up. Uh, you can connect with the, the online sermon devotional. Um, so, like, the, the devotional is so cool. It's like the way to go deeper for the rest of the week in what uh, Pastor John's talking about today. So, it's really cool. If you haven't checked that out yet, it's very cool. It's very good. Very deep sometimes. Very deep. It's crazy. I'm kidding. Um, so, it's, uh, it's, it's very good. And it's audio format, so you don't even need to read anything. It's great. Anyways, um, that's how you can figure out your online giving and all your email and text updates and stuff. So, if we're doing anything or anything changes... Log in there so you know things change so you don't t show up to church when it's closed. Things like that. Okay. So with that, we want to say thanks for your giving because we couldn't do any of this stuff here without you. Um, the, from the day-to-day -day stuff, keeping the lights on to, uh, to all the ministry stuff we do, um, we couldn't do it without you. So thanks for partnering with us. We say that if you call LifeBridge your home church, uh, you'd consider giving. And you do that a zillion different ways um, from the boxes in the front and the back of the church, um, the hallway here, little black boxes, uh, if you're a, a physical gifter. Otherwise, there's all the cool electronic ways like, uh, like Venmo and uh, things like that. But if you want to know more about that, that giving and all that stuff, just let us uh, come talk to us. We'll, we'll share what we're giving to. It's so cool. All the things we're doing. There's a bunch of cards out front there. You can kind of see all of our, our ministry partners and stuff. And there's so much good stuff that you guys are doing. So thank you for that. Um, okay, and here's the big one. Serve Sunday. Uh, once, once a campaign, we do something big where uh, I kind of say it's like a, a very James thing. We're like putting faith into action, right? So rather than just sitting here talking, uh, getting filled by, by a sermon or something, we are, in this case, filling things, which is very strange. Um, it worked out really well. So we're... Um, we are, we're packing food for people, uh, for, for an organization called um, Feed My Starving Children. It's not, it's close to that. Sorry, live stream. Anyways, um, so we're, we're packing meals for people. We're going to do 30,000 meals in here uh, at your normal church time. So like 9 and 10.30, just come like normal, but don't be prepared to just sit and take it all in. We are actually giving back. We're doing stuff. We're being active. You're going to be packing meals, 30,000 of them, so show up because... There's 30,000 of them, so we got a lot of work to do. So you guys, we'd encourage you to just come as normal, but um, that's a great Sunday to bring somebody uh, also because church doesn't look like, like normal church. It's less scary or whatever people think church is. Um, but come be a part of that. Uh, that's, make plans for that and sign up at lifebridge.church forward slash serve. Just let us know you're coming uh, so we can have spots ready for you. Uh, donuts, I imagine. Okay. And, <laughs> and that. So with that, I'm going to invite up Pastor John Adams for the sermon. That. Ah. Is this church? Of course we'll have donuts. <laughs> Gosh. It's not even a question. All right. 
We'll have donuts. Um, the organization is called Kids Around the World, and I always think Feed My Starving Children as well when we think about this, but uh, Kids Around the World does remote uh, setup stuff, so we're going to pack 30,000 meals here that Sunday. So yeah, as Ben said, we need you because we need a lot of people <laughs> to do that. It's a lot. Uh, it's a big goal that we've set, but I think we can totally do it. So if you can, be here January 30th. It's going to be awesome. And there are cards on the seats. You may have sat on those. Um, and if you want to fill that out and indicate if you can make it or not, that would be great. You can put it in the black boxes in the front or back of the hallway, or you can do so online. If you go online, it's like that uh, the homepage for LifeBridge, you'll see the first picture up there says sign up for Serve Sunday. All right, so um, please come and help us out. It'll be lots of fun, and we'll be doing a lot of good work. All right, so our new campaign that we started last week is called Life Changing Community. Life Changing Community. Community, it's never easy, but it's always worth it, we always say as one of our values. It's out there on the wall, actually. So we say it, we put it on the wall. I think it's a really important value for church. It's not easy, but it's worth it. So the thing about the church, let's pray first before we jump into the sermon. Lord, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... Lord, this community of believers that you have brought together, Lord, to worship you, to praise you, uh, Lord, to, to represent you well uh, in, in community with one another and to the world around us. Lord, I pray as we open your word that you would be honored and glorified, that, Father, you would transform our hearts into the image of Christ as we behold you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so Life-Changing Community is the name of our new campaign, and we kind of introduced it last week, but... Uh, a healthy church community should always lead to life change. That when we're a part of a church community, the church is very different than most other like social organizations or clubs that you're a part of where you come together around one specific interest and whatever, you just like have fun together, uh, like a basketball league or something. The church is a much different type of organism than that. The church is uh, meant to produce life change within us. It's to be a community that is centered around Christ that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and that uh, we are changing, we are growing to look more like Jesus. Jesus, he is transforming our inner life to look more like him. And when we read through scripture, we, end, we come across a whole lot of imperatives or things that we're supposed to be growing in that are either produced in us by community or are meant to be lived out and practiced in community. So if you think about love, for example, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, the two greatest commandments, love God, love your neighbor. If we are to love our neighbor, one that is produced in us through community as we witness other people loving their neighbors, and we see how that is done as people love us, and we also practice loving our neighbor by having opportunities to love our neighbor. Think of forgiveness and mercy. Uh, that implies somebody has offended you. Somebody will offend you when you exist in community together with other people. It is inevitable. The church is not excluded from that. But it is an opportunity for you to practice forgiveness and mercy when you are offended. Uh, it is an opportunity for you to receive forgiveness and mercy when you offend somebody else, as you will do if you exist in community with other people. So all of these good character traits that we are supposed to uh, be developing and growing in are either produced by community or meant to be practiced in community. 
Things like compassion, humility, mercy, love, forgiveness, all of that is meant to be in community. So in this campaign, we're going to explore the basis of Christian community and how it should change our life. Yesterday, or last week, yesterday, last week we talked about how uh, community is in the nature of God, that God exists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as a trinity. It's just in his nature. Community is also in our nature. In Genesis 2, uh, it says it is not good for man to be alone, so then God creates Eve. So it is not good for us to be alone. We are meant to be in community. It's a part of our nature. It's a part of who we are, it's a part of God and his nature and who he is. Today, we're just going to look at one verse, all right? We're going to look at one verse that speaks a great deal to the life change that should be happening in church community. This is a verse that I've been thinking, reflecting on a lot over the last few months, okay? And I know you're probably just like hearing it for the first time, so it may be kind of like a, like a blitz or like a, a little overwhelming hearing all of this for the first time today, but I kind of have to just tease it all out and lay it out here for you so that you can see the applications that I'm making aren't just my own ideas. They're found in the text, in this verse, okay? There's lots of applications that we're going to draw from this, but they're all, they're all in here, okay? But I need you to see that, so I'm going to kind of walk through it first with you, um, and if it feels overwhelming, that's okay. Uh, we're going to go through it throughout the whole week in the devotional, just focused on this one verse, so we'll unpack it day by day, and as you think about it day by day, Hopefully, it'll start to settle, and the ideas will start to make more sense and become more clear as we go through this. So, uh, we're going to be reading in 2 Corinthians, and a couple of just quick notes about the letter of 2 Corinthians. It was Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. That's why there's the two in front of it, right? Um, it was his second letter, possibly his third, depending on—we may have lost one in there. Not totally sure, but it's at least his second one. Um, the situation in Corinth is real tense, um, there's this group of who, people who Paul calls super apostles, uh, kind of sarcastically in chapter 11, who are questioning his ministry or challenging his ministry, saying that he's not really an apostle, he's not really a representative of Christ, what he teaches isn't necessarily true. So what Paul's doing in a lot of this letter is defending his ministry. Some of the things that they pointed to was his lack of success among the Jewish people in ministering the gospel. So they're saying, if this is the true gospel, if Jesus truly is the Messiah, why are so few Jews actually accepting him and believing in him? Paul's answer is essentially what he says here, and he says it also in the book of Romans, that uh, their minds are being hardened, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers, as he says in chapter 4, 2 Corinthians. And he says, in Romans, he talks about how it's so that the, the Gentiles can be brought into the people of God. And another thing they're arguing is that... Uh, that these super apostles thought that they should be living lives that are closer adherence, in closer adherence to the Old Testament law. They should be following more of the Old Testament laws and the practices, the, the Sabbaths and holy days and all of this stuff. Uh, and part of the new covenant. Paul's argument there is like, no, the new covenant is way more glorious. <laughs> like, why would we go back to the old when Jesus has established a new covenant? He talks about the old covenant as that which was fading away. And when Christ came, and it, it's been su surpassed by a much greater, glorious, more glorious covenant in Christ. And then they also indicate that he didn't have any letters of recommendation to validate his ministry. And he says, hey, you guys who are believers, your inner transformation of your life is his letter of recommendation. That 
people who have the Holy Spirit and who are growing in their faith, like that's the evidence of Paul's gospel that it is the truth of Jesus. They have the Holy Spirit living in them and their lives have been changed. Okay, so I say all of that, just lay the context for you because it's all gonna come into play. Those are just some of the factors that are gonna come into play, all right, as we go through this. There's more reasons why he wrote it and all that stuff. Those are just the ones that are pertinent for this. Okay, so 2 Corinthians 3.18, this is our verse. I'm just gonna read it all, then we're gonna go through it like one section at a time and tease it out, and then I'll come back and apply it later. Okay, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, there's a lot. This is a very dense verse. There's a lot at play here, and so let's tease it out. First of all is the we all, he says. Okay, so in, when you're writing in the Greek language, you have a lot more kind of flexibility with word order than you do in English. In English, you kind of tend to almost always go, you know, subject verb, and it's pretty structured in how we write. In Greek, you can put whatever word first and just whatever you want to emphasize, okay? You can emphasize that by putting it first. Paul puts we all first and we all first. So he's emphasizing that, and we all. He could have put it wherever. In fact, he didn't even have to write we. He didn't have to write the word for we in Greek. He, it's included in the verb. So if you're familiar with Spanish, anybody take Spanish in high school? I don't know if uh, French is the same, but whatever. I didn't take French, um, and I forgot most of my Spanish, but I did remember this. Okay, you can just include it in the verb, just like how you parse and how you write the verb. You include it in that. The we is included in there in the first person plural. So he didn't even have to write it, but he wrote it, and he wrote we all. So, and he put it first. He's strongly emphasizing we all, okay? That's what he wants them to see. And the we all, it includes him and his crew and whoever's teaching with him right now, which is like Timothy and Silas, maybe Barnabas, like who, uh, he, his crew plus all of the believers in Corinth. So if you're a believer in Jesus, you're included. Like you, this is you. This describes you. If you believe and are following Jesus, we all. Nobody's exempt from this, what he's about to say. Now, we're going to skip those two for, uh, clauses for now. We'll come back to them because we're just following the main idea. The main idea that Paul is saying here is that we all are being transformed. Okay? We are all being transformed. The other place that this word transformed occurs in the New Testament is Romans 12, 2, which we read last week. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay? Here, Paul is saying we all are being transformed. So if you are a believer in Jesus, no exceptions, you are being transformed, period, end of story. The Holy Spirit is at work within you, transforming you, okay? So what that implies, very simply, I'll come back up and apply it later, but that implies very simply that if you are a believer in Jesus, you have been formed by your, uh, your uh, family of origin, your early years, your personality, your culture, all of that stuff. Now you are being transformed. You're being made new. No exceptions. An image, physical image of this, is where another place that this word occurs in the New Testament is at the transfiguration of Jesus. So when Jesus is up on the mountain uh, with Peter, James, and John, uh, he's transfigured before them. It says in Matthew 17, 2, that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. So Jesus' appearance is transformed and transfigured. Okay, his resurrection body, same way. He's transformed after the resurrection. 
He looks much more glorious. His face is shining. It's a physical picture of the transformation that's supposed to be happening in the inner life of a Christian. Okay? So what are we transformed into? Into the same image. What he means is the image of Christ, the image of Jesus. We're supposed to look more like Jesus. Okay, so he doesn't mean in the external appearance. Well, we'll cover that in a second. First, don't confuse us with the image of God. Okay? So when he talks about the image of Christ, he's talking about the image of Jesus as a standard with which we live up to. So we as Christians are striving to live up to the standard of Jesus. We want our life to look more like him. That's a standard. Okay, the, the image of God is a status. Good way to think about it. All humans have the image of God, whether you're a Christian or not. Therefore, you're worthy of dignity, respect, honor. Okay. That's what gives us value and dignity as humans is we are created in the image of God. That's a status that doesn't change. But here he's referring to the image of Jesus as our standard with, with, with which Christians are called to live up to. And he says that we are all being transformed into that image, that image of Jesus. So our inner life, he's not talking about our external appearance like Jesus. That'll happen when Jesus returns and the fullness of his kingdom comes. But for now, it's our inner life that is transformed. That uh, it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit is what he's talking about. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are growing in us because the Spirit is at work within us. As he says in the next line, it all comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is what the Spirit of God produces in the life of a Christian is that fruit, that transformation, restoration, newness of life. We begin to look a lot more like Jesus. Then he says, from glory, with, from one degree of glory to another. Literally, it says, from glory to glory. So what he's meaning is that we're, when we accept Jesus, when we believe in him, we have a degree of glory, that we're re reflecting a degree of God's glory. But as we grow in our character and our inner life is transformed more by the Spirit of God at work in us, we reflect more of Jesus' glory. The picture is of we're becoming like Jesus who's transfigured. Right? Jesus in his resurrection body. That's the physical image, the picture of what's happening internally in your life. That we're looking more like him. We're going to see in a moment that Moses, when he, would come, when he came down from Mount Sinai after receiving the Ten Commandments, after he would go into the tent of meeting and meet with God, his face was shining like Jesus was in the transfiguration. So he would put a veil over his face. So what he's saying is that we're being transformed to a greater degree of glory. That our life, as we're transformed, as we grow and look more like Jesus, we're going from one degree of glory to another. That we're becoming more like Jesus. And it's glorious. It's such a cool, cool picture, cool idea. At least I think so. Okay, and this all comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That we cannot do this without the Spirit of God. So without the transformation and the power of God living in you, dwelling within you as an individual and as a community, that can, this cannot happen. You cannot be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Now you can maybe make some good, like, New Year's resolutions and maybe lose weight or eat healthier or just be a better person this year. You can do that without the Spirit of God. What he's talking about here is something that is far beyond all of that. Learning to love like Jesus loved. Having the joy of the Lord even when you're going through suffering and trials and pain. All of this stuff, this is far greater. This is supernatural transformation that comes through the Spirit of God at work in the life of the believer. 
So, so last week when I went through the Trinity, I talked about it a lot. Uh, here, Paul, Paul says it as plain as day. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay? So throughout this chapter, it's kind of obscure. Like, who is he talking about with the Lord? Is it Jesus? Is it the Father? Is it the Spirit? His answer is yes. Right? It's all of them. And here he says it just explicitly. The Lord is the Spirit. The Spirit is God. Third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, so what's this unveiled face talk about? Um, anybody think weddings? Don't raise your hand. You don't have to, but maybe you thought wedding. Is this like a wedding thing? What's he talking about? Um, we don't have cultural framework for this as they did there. If you are familiar with the Hebrew Bible, you probably have more cultural framework for this. So, anyways, he says, with unveiled face. What's he referring to? A few verses earlier, he writes, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. So he's defending why he speaks so boldly as a, uh, in his apostolic ministry. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Okay, so he's talking about the Old Covenant, how he would go into the tent of meeting and meet with God, and then his face would shine, he'd put a veil over his face. When he came down from Mount Sinai after receiving the law and the Ten Commandments, he put a veil over his face. He says, we, we don't have to do that. As followers of Christ now, we don't have to veil our face, that we're shining with the glory of God, the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We don't have to do that anymore. So we can speak boldly. And we see the glory of God on the faces of one another. Now he's going to kind of transition and use that veil uh, metaphor a little bit differently. But their minds were hardened. Here he's explaining why so many of the Jews have not come to believe in the gospel um, as one would think. But their minds were hardened. Same thing that happened back then with Moses is happening now. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. So as Christians, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the scriptures, that veil is taken away because we can see Jesus in the Old Testament. We see how it all points to him, how Jesus is the center of it all, and we can understand Christ and the gospel and the good news of Jesus because that veil has been taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. There he says it again. Lord is the Spirit. The word often used for God is Lord. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What he's referring to by freedom here is the freedom to see and understand the gospel. To know uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. To know that he is the Savior of the world. When you read it, to see that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and the covenant, which was fading away and had come to its effective end with Jesus. And that when you do believe in Christ and you have the work of the Holy Spirit in you, you have the freedom to speak boldly and the freedom to allow the glory of God to shine in your life to others. You don't have to veil your face. Both senses are in play. Tracking? Maybe. Devotional. Devotional. <laughs> Remember, I've been thinking about this for months. Okay. Uh, all right. Beholding the glory of the Lord is the last phrase that we haven't really covered. But you see, as we're going through this, how just deeply profound and formational this verse is. This is awesome. If you can't tell, I'm really excited. Here's like too excited. Okay, so beholding the glory of the Lord. This is a fascinating word. Um, it, it's kind of hard to translate because it's the only time that this occurs in the New Testament. Um, from external biblical sources, we know that this word kind of refers to like 
staring at something, looking at something as if in a mirror is the idea behind it. So the NIV translate, translates it contemplate. Um, the NLT translates it seeing and reflecting. Okay, so like staring at something as if into a mirror. So two, two kind of ideas are in play. One is like examining, contemplating, beholding, staring at something intently, uh, but also reflecting, that this is a reflection of something else. Okay. That reflection idea is also in the image word that Paul chooses to use as we image Jesus. This is what I thought of. I don't know if it helps. Perhaps it's because I just I saw the Spider-Man movie a while ago. But like, like, remember the old Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire? Some of you guys are way too young for this. All right, the first one, um, where he's like looking in the mirror after he gets bit by the spider, and he's all of a sudden like jacked. He's like, sweet, I got this. What happened to me, right? He's like staring in the mirror, and his glasses, he doesn't need his glasses anymore because his, uh, his vision has been corrected. Like, that's kind of the idea. It's like, whoa, I'm transformed. Like, I look totally different now. I don't need my glasses anymore. Like, you're staring at it in awe and wonder. That's how you should look at your life transformation. And when you contemplate the glory of the Lord, to see like, hey, I look different now. Kind of the idea. All right, band, you guys can come and get set up. Devotional is going to be huge. Okay, so taken all together now. (laughs) Taken all together, we all, so... All of us, not just like a select few elite Christians who happen to be growing in their faith. Nope, all of you. If you're a Christian, you're being transformed. Period. End of story. Okay? All of us are being transformed with unveiled faces. Okay? So we can see the goodness of Jesus. We can see that Jesus is the Messiah in the Gospels, He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And we can reflect the glory of the Lord in our life without having to veil our face. We do this by beholding, that is, seeing and reflecting the glory of the Lord. That's meditating on his word. That's uh, thinking about the truth, thinking about his love and his goodness, about who he is. Seeing change in your life. That's seeing change in the lives of others. We'll apply that in and when I come back up later, are being transformed to look more like Jesus in our inner life and in our character. This is a transformation from glory to glory, and none of it's possible without the Holy Spirit of God at work within us. Tracking? Cool. We'll apply it later. (laughs) I think this is so amazing. As you guys contemplate this this week and reflect on it, My prayer is that it'll just come alive to you. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Lord, Yahweh, thank you for your word, for the transformation that you bring through the Holy Spirit whom you have given us. Thank you, Jesus, for redeeming us, for saving us, for being the fulfillment of the law. And Lord, for establishing a new covenant with us that we can be made right with God, that we can have your righteousness, we can have your life, within us by faith in you. Lord, we want to respond to your work in our lives with praise, with worship. So Lord, as we worship you now, would you be honored and glorified through the cry of our hearts to you. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And if you guys need prayer while we're singing, there's prayer available in the back.
tried so hard to see it Took me so long to believe it That you choose someone like me To carry your victory Perfection could never Take the broken things and raise them to glory. You are my champion. Giants fall when you stand undefeated. Every
praise you. You are the only one worthy of our praise. Glory to you, God. All glory, honor, wisdom, and praise belongs to you. So, Lord, be honored and glorified as our hearts worship you and give you the glory that you deserve. So, Lord, as we praise you as a form of beholding your glory, we ask that your spirit would transform our hearts as well. Move us into being more like Jesus from glory to glory. It's our heart's deepest desire is to be like Christ. In the way that he lived, knowing the truth, the way that he loved people. Help us to be like that. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat for a few moments. Here's our verse again, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I'm just going to keep the verse up there. I'm going to go through a few points, uh, a few things that we should be seeing in this text and how we should be applying this to our life. Uh, first and foremost, the main clause in the sentence is, and we all are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Again, Paul goes way out of his way to emphasize we all. That this isn't something, this transformation of our inner life and putting on the image of Christ and looking more like Jesus, displaying the glory of the Lord in our life. It is not just excluded to a group of elite Christians. It's not just for pastors. This isn't just for the Christians who really take this thing seriously, for the weird people who are really into this Jesus thing. No, this is for if you claim to be a believer in Christ, if you have the Spirit of God, if you believe in Jesus, this is you. We have this misconception or this lie in our American westernized Christian church it's called like easy believism, or Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it cheap grace. So it's not anything new. It's been around since the middle of the 20th century. That I can say this prayer, accept Jesus, and then just go on living my life the way that I was before, and I've got my get out of hell free card, and now I'm good with God. And just our faith is only for the afterlife. That it, It doesn't do anything to make you new or to transform you now, here and now. That's a lie. That's not true. There is no version of Christianity in which you are not being transformed. If you are not being transformed, that is not Christianity. And that means that you are then not in Christ. And so if you look at your life five years ago or six years ago or two years ago and you don't see inner life transformation, go back to the beginning. Say, is Jesus really my Lord? Do I really believe in Jesus? Do I really believe this gospel that Jesus came and taught and lived for? Do I have the righteousness of Christ? And pray for the Holy Spirit of God to fill you, to empower you, to transform you and change you to be more like Jesus. Because this is a promise that if you genuinely believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God and you are being transformed. This transformation and life change, it may look 
It may be slower at certain times in your life. It may be more rapid at certain times in your life, but it will be there. You will be growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you will be growing in all of those. You can't just take one or two. If you notice, Paul says fruit, singular, of the Spirit. It is one, it is a whole shebang type thing. Your whole inner life is being transformed into the image of Jesus. So if you look at your life and you're like, I don't see any movement. I don't see any transformation. Go back to the beginning. Confess your faith in Jesus, that you believe in him, that you trust him, that you desire to be changed by him and his spirit to look more like him. And pray for the Holy Spirit of God to fill you and to change you and to produce fruit within you. As we were singing that song, a thought came to mind. I, I don't remember where, but C.S. Lewis has this quote where he says, when we, believe in, when we come to believe in Jesus, we have, uh, we have this concept that he's going to do a few minor renovations to the house. That he's going to paint the walls. He's going to hang a few new fixtures of <laughs> lighting. He's going he's to you know, just do a couple minor tweaks to your life. And pretty quickly you begin to realize that, no, he's gutting the whole thing. <laughs> right? Like he's laying an entire new foundation. That he is the foundation. And there was a foundation there in your life before, but he's changing it to himself and something totally new. And that is a painful process. And it is a lifelong process. But you come to realize that he's building a mansion. That from glory to glory, like your, your current house, it's pretty nice. It's cool. You're a pretty good person, right? You're an okay Christian. No, he, he wants to build you into the image of Jesus, who is the standard of perfection from glory to glory. That's how much he loves you, and that's what he wants for you. So this life change, one, it's not optional, and two, it's glorious. It's amazing. So we need to be engaged in beholding the glory of the Lord. This is our part in transformation, as Paul indicates here. We behold the glory of the Lord by contemplating Jesus, by sitting and just thinking about Jesus and the goodness of Christ in his word. We worship, remember the see and reflect language, the contemplate language. We praise, we just be with him, we think about how cool Jesus is. We just sit and think about how awesome he is. When we read in scripture, uh, my process is reading scripture and then just thinking about it for a while. And when I read about the compassion of Jesus, I just think and sit and think about how compassionate, how loving he is. I imagine what his face looks like when he came up to the leper who was ostracized by all of society and he reached out and touched him. Think about how amazing Jesus is and how loving and how kind he is. And yet how powerful he is and the truth that he embodies in every circumstance, the wisdom that he has. Just think about Jesus and how awesome he is. You just sit and think and reflect on the glory of God. In private worship, this is what Chuck calls it. He calls it your devotions, private worship, which I think is a better term. Chuck Beckler, he comes and speaks once in a while. This is his big thing. Uh, Brother Lawrence, he called it practicing the presence of God. It's just being with God. It's a whole tradition on contemplation and just sitting and being with God. Always rooted and based in the truth of Scripture and the beauty and the goodness of who God is. We just sit and be with him. 
Try it. It's a practice that you need to develop. It's going to be super hard at first. promise you. When we try to just sit and be with God, we're going to feel like it's a waste of time. <laughs> we think it's a waste of time. But Paul says this is how we change. Like, this is how we grow. is by beholding the glory of the Lord. Okay, if, we're not, if we're not thinking about all like other stuff that we have to do on the house or like all this other, you know, whatever, just life activity stuff that's distracting us, we think that this is a waste of time compared to that. We'll even be thinking, like, I should be doing other good stuff. Like, I should read the Bible. I should put a new podcast in and listen to that. Maybe I even put the, put the Bible in on my headphones and listen to that. Like, this isn't productive, just sitting and thinking about God. I would encourage you that that is one of the most productive things that you can do in your faith, is to just sit and be with God and to think about Him. Think about how awesome He is whatever text you just read, to meditate on that and reflect on that, contemplate, behold the glory of God in what you just read. You'll probably get bored pretty quickly because we, our attention span is like less than eight seconds of a goldfish nowadays. That's a goldfish attention span, by the way, in case you're wondering. Uh, our attention span is super low. Like on average, it's lower than a goldfish. It's insane. Because we want to be entertained and distracted constantly. Your mind will wander. You'll get bored. Just keep coming back to God. Keep coming back to Jesus. It's a practice that you develop. Don't get frustrated. Don't get discouraged. You're really going to struggle to put aside distractions. You've got to find a secret, quiet place where you can just be alone and in private with God in order to truly behold the glory of the Lord. That's one part of beholding the glory of the Lord. That's an important piece of it. Another part is seeing the glory of the Lord in your life. Remember that word beholding is like seeing, like meditating on, studying, reflecting on, but also it, it carries the connotation of looking at something within a mirror, right? So like seeing yourself and looking at yourself. So when you look at your life over the last year, five years, ten years, and you see the fruit that the Holy Spirit has produced in you, you are witnessing the glory of the Lord. The life change that you have experienced in your life. When you think about that, when you journal about that, and write it down, and see how God has formed you and changed you over time, you're witnessing the glory of the Lord. When you find in your heart an increased desire for peace, not just the false peace of no conflict at the moment, but restoration of right relationship with God, with other people, and with creation. Praise God. You are witnessing the glory of the Lord when you see that in your life. That's the work of God in you. When you see in your life a desire for goodness that wasn't there before, that the former sins that you used to desire and the evil that you used to crave that desire has become less and less, and the desire for God's goodness has become stronger and stronger. You're witnessing the glory of the Lord. When you look, like looking in a mirror, you're seeing the glory of the Lord shine off your face. When you see that you're becoming a more patient person, long-suffering, you're, you're learning to suffer longer before you lose it, you're seeing the glory of the Lord at work in your life. And Christian, it is your responsibility to behold the glory of the Lord so that your life is transformed 
And then you can live with an unveiled face so that others can see the glory of the Lord in you. This is the profound idea that I have been sitting with, that it is our responsibility to behold the glory of the Lord, to be transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another, not just so that we can say we're doing great and we're winning. No, so that the community of believers can look at you and see the image of Jesus on display in your unveiled face. That's a profound idea. That your spiritual transformation is not just between you and God. It's not just for you. It is for the community. So that when people see you, they see the glory of Jesus on display. Your life change is evidence of the gospel. We all want simple arguments to like argue for the faith. And we have a whole industry in Christianity called apologetics for this. You just want a quick answer. Say, if somebody asks me a tough question, I'll have an answer. And that's my, that's my witness. The greatest witness of the gospel is your transformed life. As Paul says in here, says, hey, the, the evidence of my apostolic ministry and, and calling is you, <laughs> Corinthian church, it's you. It's the transformation of life that you have experienced and you see all around you. That's the evidence of the gospel. And so instead of putting it off on just, oh, if I just have a good answer to a tough question, the much harder work is, am I reflecting the image of Christ? <laughs> am I allowing the Spirit of God and participating with the Spirit of God to transform my pride? From pride to love. My hate to love. To joy and peace. Am I plunging the depths of my heart and my soul? and allowing the Spirit of God to rework my life. That is the witness of the gospel. And we need to do that so that others may see our inner life being transformed. So there's that personal work of us being transformed, but also we need to see the glory of the Lord in the unveiled faces of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to see the glory of the Lord in the lives of others talked on Christmas Eve about our negativity bias, that we all have a negativity bias. We tend to see the negative. We tend to think about the negative and the depressing stories more or the stories that make us angry. We tend to think about those things a lot more. And that applies to our relationships as well. We tend to see the negative and focus on the negative, the ways that our brothers and sisters in Christ are falling short of the transformation into the image of Christ tend to focus on those things, about how they're, they're being rude. <laughs> Why haven't they reached this level yet? Why are they still thinking this way or doing this? I encourage us. I think what Paul is saying here is that when we have this unveiled face to reflect the glory of the Lord, we should be seeing that in our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should be focusing on the transformation that they have experienced in Christ. So when we witness a selfless act of love in the form of financial support for an overwhelmed single mom, in the church community, we're beholding the glory of the Lord. Okay, all this to say, like beholding the glory of the Lord, this is, again, one of those ideas that's just blown my mind. It, it's not just like sitting and contemplating. That's a big part of it. But it's actively participating in the community so that you can witness the glory of the Lord on the unveiled faces of your brothers and sisters in Christ.
That's so cool, isn't it? It's amazing. So when we witness a brother in Christ overcoming his sin of addiction, we're seeing the glory of the Lord on display in that person. When we see an angry young man become a promoter of peace, we're witnessing the glory of the Lord on display. When we see a sister in Christ maintain joy in the midst of painful health issues, we're beholding the glory of the Lord on her face. When a brother in Christ forgives his father for years of neglect, we're beholding the glory of the Lord on display. This is why the community participation is so important. If we have eyes to see what is happening all around us, we will be seeing God at work in the unveiled faces of our brothers and sisters in Christ. So don't miss that. One, behold the glory of the Lord in your personal life. Sit with him. Become like Jesus. It's not just for your own selfish purposes. It's so others can see the life change that you've experienced. They can see God at work in you. That is so cool. That is awesome. Don't rob the community of that, of seeing how God is transforming you into the image of Jesus. And then make sure you're looking for it in the lives of others. Make sure you're seeing that. Instead of just focusing on the negative, see the transformed lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ and how God is growing them and be encouraged. Find hope in that. Because that is the evidence of the gospel of Jesus at work. I invite you to just take a couple of minutes and just reflect on that. You can take a few moments and just practice beholding the glory of the Lord. <laughs> just sit and think about Jesus. Think about how awesome he is. Think about the life change that he has brought in you and give him praise for that. Think about how cool it is that he loves you so much to die for you. Think about how awesome God is that he could create the just seemingly endless universe. Think about how you've seen the glory of the Lord on display in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about how you've seen it in your life change. Maybe you need to just take a moment and repent of always being so negative and seeing where people fall short instead of seeing the glory of the Lord on display in others' lives. Just take a moment and just sit with it.
ask you to continue this process of transformation in us. When we know that this is only brought about by the Holy Spirit of God who's dwelling within us. So Lord, we surrender to your will. Our heart's deepest desire is to become more like Christ. To live the way that he lived. Lord, form us into the image of Christ, whatever it may take. Lord, we confess that we have a million excuses for not beholding your glory, for not sitting with you, for not worshiping, recognizing your presence. Lord, would you help us to overcome those, to be with you, God, and in doing so, find that transformation to look more like Christ and to move from glory to glory and Lord help us to see it in the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ to witness the transformation that you are bringing in them to rejoice with them to grow together to challenge one another to know you more Jesus Lord we love you so grateful for the work that you are doing in our lives. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together. If you guys need prayer, there's still prayer available in the back.
praise you. We thank you for the redemption that you have brought us, for the newness of life that you have given us. Thank you for the continued work that you are doing in us through the Holy Spirit of transformation, making us into something totally new. Lord, I pray that you would continue that work in us. Even through difficult times, our heart's desire is to be like Jesus, to reflect him, to reflect his glory, and to be in his image. Help us to see this in one another, to participate in the life of community, and to find the hope and the joy that it is of witnessing life transformation in one another. Jesus, you are just so marvelous. You are worthy of praise. Lord, I pray that our worship wouldn't stop here in community, but would continue privately in our homes, that we would worship you, and in doing so, be transformed into the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you guys need prayer, Michael and Kathleen are available in the back. They'd love to pray with you. If not, thanks for being here. Thank <laughs> you.